Okay, we have uh, many questions. I try to answer as much as I can. Number one is I understand how metta has a positive effect for the one who sends it, but does it also have an effect for person whom it's directed to? As I said, uh, yes, in a way, if we know in advance, if we inform the person in advance that uh, we are sending metta, the person will uh, tune his mind and uh, feel actually very relaxed and comfortable that now this is my relative, my friend, my so-and-so, with a very compassionate heart, sends me metta. You know, some people uh, even write to us when they are in a very desperate situation, please send you a metta. So we write them back, yes, uh, we send a lot of metta. And then after some time they write back to us saying, Bhanti is wonderful. I felt metta. So this is a kind of psychological uh, communication, uh, non-verbal psychological communication that uh, uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. It is very much like if you know somebody is hating you and you think the person, person hates you, Psychologically, you feel very, very uncomfortable. Similarly, when you know that somebody is uh, sending you metta, the person has compassionate heart, you feel very comfortable. Is it Next question, is it appropriate to send metta to loved ones who have died? If so, what phrase do you suggest? I think I mentioned, I answered this question, right? Mm. So I don't like to repeat the answer. Why is it uh, preferable to meditate with your eyes closed? I don't think I answered this question. When uh, we keep our eyes open, we see many objects. It is distracting. When you close your eyes, uh, you... uh, don't have too much uh, distractions, so it's easy to concentrate and feel your feelings, feel your breath, feel the body, and feel inside uh, in your mind the peace and so forth. So for this reason, uh, we strong recommend people to close their eyes in humanity. Some people fall asleep when they close their eyes and they cannot meditate. And in that case, uh, some people also have fear. We ask them to open their eyes and cast them on the floor, a few feet away from them, 
so that they will uh, remain alert and won't fall asleep. Is it uh, noticing the breath also controlling it? No, we don't uh, control the breath when we notice it. We let it flow in and out freely, effortlessly, as natural, naturally as it goes in and out. We don't deliberately try to control breath. <clears throat> Is it recommended to do calming, uh, calming uh, uh, pranayama exercise before starting meditation session? Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> pranayama is uh, one of the yogic uh, uh, yoga uh, steps. Uh, sometimes we recommend people to do yoga before they uh, meditate. If you incorporate this into yoga practice and then come and meditate, it doesn't do any harm. But uh, we must remember our meditation system is not breath controlling system. In pranayama, there is a breath control. And uh, very quick breath, uh, breathing, and sometimes blowing through the nose very quickly, very loudly. And uh, I have seen a uh, lot of uh, misgiving about this uh, blowing nose. Uh, I saw even just recently, but we don't recommend that. We, if you do any yoga practice before meditation, it's all right. Uh, you know, yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyara, all these eight steps that uh, Patanjali has recommended. If you know how to do them uh, properly, uh, do whatever you can within the limited time and then come to meditation. In our meditation we don't do any of those things, no breath control, we just use breath, uh, natural breath. Next question is, how do we use mindfulness to uproot the hindrances? As I said, there are various ways, one is to uh, replace hindrances with their with their opposites, particular hindrance. That's called Tadangapana and this is recommended also in sutras. Tadangapana and so forth are uh, commentarial terms, but in the those commentarial terms are taken actually from sutras uh, giving different terms. In Sutra, there is a, there are two particular sutras. One is called uh, uh, actually three sutras. One is called Vithaka Santana Sutta in Madhyamanikaya. Other is called uh, uh, Shabbasava Sutta, and the other is Dveda uh, Vithaka Sutta. Uh, in uh, in Vithaka Santana Sutta. There are five methods recommended. Sabhasa uh, Sutta, seven methods recommended. Dedavitaka Sutta, two methods recommended. One of the five in 
Vitaka Santana Sutta is replacing particular hindrance with its opposite. And that's we have to do mindfully. Second is not paying attention to it. Third is going to the root of it. Fourth is mindful reflection. Fifth is uh, uh, pressing your tongue against the upper palate and you know, clenching your teeth and uh, make a firm determination uh, to get rid of this particular uh, hindrance. All these are recommended in that sutta. So, going to the root, mindful reflection, and going to the root is called yoniso manasikara. As you know, yoni is the root, the beginning, origin. And there are three origins uh, or roots, greed, hatred and delusion, or non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, six on three on unwholesome side, three on wholesome side. So when certain uh, hindrance arises, mm-hmm. go to its root and then replace the root with a wholesome root, the opposite root. If greed arises, you recognize that it is greed and it stems from the root of root of greed. Greed is one of the three unwholesome roots. Loba, dosa, moha in Pali. Aloba, adosa, moha on the positive side. Loba, dosa, moha negative side. Aloba, adosa, moha positive side. So we go to the root and see uh, that root is uh, has been nourished by unwholesome, ref- unwholesome reflection. Now we have to reflect on, we have to have mindful reflection to uh, starve it to death, so to say. And that's a very involved process, uh, just mindful attention. Next question, please define clear comprehension. I think I explained it uh, uh, today. Uh, what clear comprehension means. Clear comprehension uh, is fourfold and we must clearly define, clearly understand the purpose, this per- fivefold purpose given in Mahasatipattahana uh, uh, Sutta, the domain, suitability and non-delusion. That is clarity. <clears throat> These four uh, fold uh, uh, steps must be followed to gain clear understanding, clear comprehension. Next question. Infrequently while meditating my breath becomes uh, automatic and uh, drunk bubs with the breath, no thoughts, is this uh, incorrect practice? Uh, no, mind, the breath becomes uh, uh, automatic. And uh, 
sometimes uh, uh, you may not have any thought definitely that's true that is not incorrect <coughs> next question uh, should we not in and out for the breath when the mind is wandering yes i suggested the use in and out breathing and count to bring mind back to the breath when the mind is wandering so you said uh, should we not uh, noting uh, i said uh, uh, counting is a kind of uh, uh, noting uh, sometimes uh, uh, counting works uh, to bring mind the back to bring bring back the mind to the breath uh next question uh, a brisk walk, walk after lunch outside is that a good idea in a jhana retreat <laughs> now uh i think it's a good idea for any retreat <laughs> you know in uh, some uh, zen meditation uh, centers they sit 20 minutes and get up and march very quickly very fast to invigorate to bring go to make the blood circulation go very smoothly and then sit for another 20 minutes one time they face uh, sit facing the wall 20 minutes get up and walk very quickly and then get up and then come and sit down uh, turning the back to the wall so they keep the directions of sitting but each time they walk very fast i think that is uh, their technique we don't that kind of uh, altering but uh, at least one time at least for about an hour at least we got to do some brisk walk because when in meditation was six days seven days 10 days if you sit all the time you get very tired and you know is not very good not healthy therefore <laughs> not because i walk <laughs> but i see the results of walking walking having brisk walk in your book you say don't think see but can you gain insight without thinking kind of insight you gain by thinking is uh, logical rational philosophical uh, ideas uh, but insight is not logical rational philosophical ideas insight arises uh, when the mind is calm relaxed peaceful and uh, focus on what 
is happening without mental disturbance. Insight arises like that. But if you keep thinking what you do, you have a certain input, certain storage in your mind. You bring them out and keep thinking and you go only in that direction that you have trained your mind. So you use your logic, uh, your reasoning, uh, and so forth, uh, using those informations that you have put into the mind. That's how I understand. Uh, and therefore, for gaining insight, uh, we don't have to use uh, those information that we have put into the mind. But we just uh, pay attention to see what really is happening originally. Insight is the original uh, uh, new uh, awareness uh, coming from one's own personal experience. Thinking, um, you can bring out all kind of ideas for thinking as background information, background uh, what you call uh, inputs. Insight is not previously uh, prepared uh, uh, mental state. It arises spontaneously when something happens. Then immediately, as the mind is clear, you understand it. And therefore, uh, thinking is not recommended anywhere uh, or insight. Investigation, yes. Investigation, yes. Investigating is uh, uh, asking questions uh, of the Dhamma. Dhamma is the uh, truth, uh, not uh, based on something, it exists by itself. And therefore, uh, thinking is not necessary. Next question. How do, do we work with or suppress pain so we can keep our undivided attention on the breath? Uh, I, may, I answered this question in some other context. Uh, to suppress pain, either you stay with the pain until pain reaches its unbearable state, and then uh, you see, actually we have to learn from pain. And that is another example of not thinking. Mm, to gain insight. When we pay attention to pain without any previous uh, verbal knowledge, we can see what really is happening to pain. What happens to pain? It either increases, decreases, 
it never stays the same. Never. It either increases or decreases. When it increases, it goes up to a certain uh, degree, certain point, and then you may pass out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> then you <laughs> get back, then the pain is gone. <laughs> Or, pain slowly subside. Either way, you learn from your experience what really happens to the pain. And then, uh, you can keep uh, your undivided attention on the breath. <laughs> Or, second uh, technique also I recommended is uh, very mindfully change your posture. I don't recommend that as uh, strategy number one because uh, when you change your posture every time you have little pain, the second posture become, becomes uncomfortable. Then you change it into another. And that becomes uncomfortable. So you keep always shifting, changing, moving, without gaining any concentration at all. You know, some meditation teachers focus mind only on sensation, feeling, and they never let you move. One, two, three hours, four hours, once you sit, you've got to sit. Because they know what happens when you keep sitting uh, without changing. So first few days you may have terrible pain, then after that it disappears. That was a good technique. And so people actually... Uh, some people, of course, uh, give up. Some people stay on, and later on they realize, they say, this was the first time I had good meditation because they learned to tolerate pain. Next question is, uh, Last year you said it was possible from the fourth jhana to review one's past lives like the Buddha did. Have you done that? If not, why? If not, why not? <laughs> uh, I never tried that. Uh, I must say. Uh, I uh, was not very much uh, interested in going to past lives or pre future lives. I want to live this life <laughs> and uh, not interested in going into any of those things. I stay as much uh, concentrated as possible here and now, 
And without going to the past lives or future lives, uh, if we can uh, eliminate our uh, roots of our suffering now, that's all we need. Uh, going to past lives and future lives and so forth uh, uh, would be additional uh, uh, training or practice, which I have never done, because I'm not interested in that. That is the reason why I didn't. Are you enlightened? I'm sorry to say, no, not yet. <laughs> I am working very hard, uh, and perhaps one day we don't know, no, who knows. Is there an index or uh, concordance to topics in the Sutta Pitaka? You know, there is a Tipitaka index. <coughs> Somebody has uh, made it. Uh, I have not come across, but I have seen somebody using it in Sinhalese, Tipitaka index, but not in uh, uh, Roman characters. Next question. When Buddha Gosa wrote Vishuddhimagga, did the description of the stages come out of his own experience? In the Sutta, does Lord Buddha say anything to validate or authentic, authenticate uh, Venerable Buddha Gosa? Uh, I think Venerable Buddha Gosa used his own uh, intelligence, uh, his knowledge of uh, suttas to explain various aspects. Some, of course, his own opinions, mm, not always 100% uh, uh, agree with uh, sutras. But in some places he expressed his opinions, and uh, some opinions are not 100% correct. But he's a wonderful uh, scholar to remember so many things. And uh, I don't know whether he had any time to meditate, <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> because see the amount of uh, uh, work he did. Uh, he went to Sri Lanka and he had to learn a Sinhalese script uh, to translate Sinhalese commentaries into Pali. All the commentaries were in Sinhalese. If you read Jatakatha uh, Katha, in the introduction itself he says, I came to Sri Lanka to translate Sinhalese commentaries into Pali because Sinhalese is a, a provincial language, colloquial, uh, to Sri Lanka. He want, wanted to make uh, Dhamma available to everybody else through Pali. So he translated into Pali. 
writing those days did not have they didn't have computers not even typewriters not pen and ink <clears throat> what they had was the stylus they had uh, uh, about this long all our leaves about two inches wide uh, palm leaves and they had to cut and treat the palm leaves, boil and dry, boil and dry, boil and dry, many times to uh, treat them. And then they have to cut a wedge on the uh, thumb, nail, and hold it against the knee, hold the uh, ola leaf like this, and using the stylus, Resting on this V-shaped wedge, they cut on the thumbnail, and then inscribed each letter, round, round, round letters on the ola leaf. It takes very, very long time, and then they burn uh, cloth. Uh, mixed with coconut oil to get the color. And then using another piece of cloth, they apply the, the paste on the ola leaf, then it turned to dark, like printed dark color. See the amount of time they spent to write one ola leaf. And he has written thousands of such pages. Perhaps he must have spent many hours a day. And therefore, I don't think he had any time to meditate. <coughs> uh, but he has given, he has written a wonderful book on meditation. You don't have to meditate to write meditation books. <laughs> you just collect information and write. At the end of... Uh, Vishuddhimagga, he says, by the merits of writing this book, may I be reborn in Himalayan mountain and live as a deva, divine being, and live until Maitre Buddha comes to learn Dhamma from the Maitre Buddha and attain enlightenment. That is uh, not very you know, positive uh, wish, because uh, a meditator would never uh, wish to wait that long to attain enlightenment. And after all, what is the wrong with Gautama Buddha? What has he done to him to bypass him and wait for Maitre Buddha? <laughs> Is Maitre Buddha going to teach something different from Gautama Buddha? No. What Gautama Buddha will teach will be exactly the same Four Noble Truths as Gautama Buddha taught. So why one wants to take rebirth in Maitre Buddha's time to attain enlightenment, whereas Gautama Buddha's teaching still is alive? And the one who wrote this kind of wonderful books, translating uh, commentaries into Pali, to say at the end, let me be reborn in 
you know, there were realms in Himalayan. Atoll. Who wants to bo- be born in Himalayan? It's so cold. <laughs> he should have wished to be born in a warm country. <laughs> anyway, uh, we find that in the Visuddhimagga. So I don't think he has... Uh, <laughs> This is my interpretation. (laughs) What are the volitional formations? As one of the five aggregates, how do we, uh, how do they differ from volition come uh, the second link of dependent origination? Actually, Second link of dependent origination and volitional formations are the same. Uh, however, uh, sankara, the word sankara in dependent origination uh, includes volitional formations. Uh, but all sankaras are not volitional formations, although all volitional formations are sankaras. Uh, in the five aggregates, sankara means volitional formations. In the dependent origination, sankara uh, means any conditional things. So sankara sometimes, even beyond, going beyond dependent origination, the sankara uh, can... Uh, uh, what you call incorporate uh, everything else in the whole universe. It encompasses everything. Like uh, this baby Sankara. It is not volitional formations, although volitional with volitional formations this came to being. So you now somebody has pro- produced this. But this is not uh, Sankara in the same sense as Kama or volitional formations. Since it came into existence through causes and conditions and subject to change, this can be called Sankara. Everything we can see around, every animate, inanimate objects can be called Sankara because they all come into existence through causes and conditions. So, uh, Sankara in dependent origination <coughs> uh, is Kama, and uh, uh, third aggregate in five aggregates, Sankara also is uh, Kama. But beside that, the word Sankara is used for many other things like Sabbe Sankara Anicca. Sabbe Sankara Anicca, in that place, the word Sankara is used for anything and everything in the universe. <clears throat> Next question Why uh, is cheese allowed for eight precepts? <laughs> 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 
Actually, this is another controversial thing. Some traditions, they don't take milk, but they eat cheese. I think cheese is uh, more harmful than milk. Uh, however, these are controversial things. In uh, some countries, uh, some traditions, they don't take milk or cheese at all. Like in uh, Sri Lankan tradition, milk or cheese is totally uh, prohibited to take afternoon. <coughs> in Burma, it's worse. Burma, Burmese monks don't even take tea. Uh, they eat, they drink water. In some other traditions, the Theravanda tradition, they use uh, cheese and dark chocolate. (laughs) So, it's a controversial thing. What is the difference between the eight lifetime precepts you offer <coughs> last year and the eight precepts we took uh, this year? Are the ones this year also for lifetime? Do you like to have them for lifetime? If you want to observe them for lifetime, you go ahead and do it. But uh, we didn't mean uh, you to observe them for lifetime because it is very difficult. <clears throat> but there's a difference between lifetime precepts, eight precepts, and this precept. The precept that you observed at the beginning of this retreat is called, is called eight monastic precepts. It is eight monastic precepts, which include not eating afternoon, observing celibacy, not using perfumes, dancing, singing. You cannot stay without dancing or singing. (laughs) You have to go to parties and sing and dance. Uh, And then using luxurious beds and so forth. These are all eight uh, monastic precepts. Eight lifetime precepts is very easy, relatively, of course. They are nothing but the what you find in the moral category in the noble eightfold path. Noble eightfold path is divided into, into divided into three categories: sila, samadhi, panya. Sila means the right speech, right action, right livelihood. In these three, you can find eight precepts. Right speech is the speech uh, to abstain from telling lies, slanderous talk, harsh talk, and gossip. There are four precepts now. Right action, you have uh, abstaining from killing, stealing, and uh, misconduct in sensual pleasures. Now, seven. Eight is right livelihood abstaining from wrong livelihood. These are the eight lifetime precepts. One can observe these eight for entire life without missing anything. 
sometimes people ask, what about drink? Because in the eight lifetime precept, uh, drink is uh, not specifically expressly mentioned, but it is implicitly mentioned, not explicitly. That is when you take a, take the precept to observe right livelihood, you abstain from wrong livelihood. One of the wrong, wrong livelihood is selling and buying and using liquor. And therefore it includes in the right livelihood. Therefore it is not explicitly mentioned. It At our place, <clears throat> since this has come up many times in people's questions, in order to make it easy and instead of answering this question again and again so many times, we included that to uh, right livelihood. We say... I undertake the precept to abstain from wrong livelihood and intoxicants. We combine these two together or explicitly mention intoxicants. <clears throat> so this is the difference. If you remember the difference, uh, you just look at this eight precepts that you took and go to Noble Eightfold Path and compare. You can see this has more rigid precepts, that has more open, uh, easy to practice precepts. Now, uh, where am I now? Okay. Uh, another question What is the difference between uh, never returner and arahant? An arahant. <clears throat> a never returner has uh, destroyed only five fetters. Uh, they are called heavy fetters. Orambhagya uh, Sangyojana. Orambhagya means down to earth, heavy uh, fetters. Arahant has destroyed heavy fetters as well as light fetters all the ten fetters. Anagamis have destroyed only five. That is the difference. Next question. When people say, uh, become the object of meditation, you say that is not correct. Do they possibly mean be one with the object? Become the one become the object of meditation, you say, I think I said becoming one with the object is incorrect. You cannot be one with the object, but you can have an external or internal object as your focus of mind. But you cannot become one with the object. <clears throat> if you try to be one with the object, suppose you look at this this saucer, say this white, uh, smooth white color, and focus your mind on it. And if you become one with this, you will be a saucer. <laughs> that will not happen. 
So therefore, we use this as an aid, support, an object for gaining concentration. Once you gain concentration, you leave this out. You are no longer with this one. But all is going on in the mind. It is wholesome one-pointedness of mind that you are going to gain. You are not go- going to gain one with the object. <laughs> it never happens. <laughs> in order to bring the scattered mind to one uh, pointedness, you use this object. Once you uh, are comfortable with it, you forget the object, and then everything happens inside the mind. Everything happens inside our mind. Then outside things are completely abandoned. <coughs> what did the word gods is used? Uh, what does that imply? The word gods with capital G uh, we don't use because that uh, is alien word for Buddhism. <coughs> uh, like aliens come into this world. <laughs> that is an alien word for Buddhism. We don't use it. <laughs> uh, it belongs to some other religious traditions, uh, theistic religious traditions, and uh, <coughs> we don't use that. But we use the word God with simple G. Simple G. And uh, that has many, many, countless different deities uh, that we believe in because anybody can become a deity, but nobody can be this deity with capital G because uh, <coughs> we don't know whether there is one like that. I don't want to get into involved in that kind of uh, theological arguments. I just uh, leave it like that. Are there any Buddhist? Uh, are there any Buddhas alive today? In fact, the word Buddha is used uh, for uh, many uh, meanings. Uh, there are Sutta Buddha, Pacheka Buddha, Sammasam Buddha, and so forth. Sutta Buddha is a learned, enlightened disciples of the Buddha. They are called Sutta Buddha. Pacheka Buddha means the one who Buddhas who, who have attained enlightenment and unable to teach Dhamma to others are called Pacheka Buddhas. And the other Samma Sam Buddha who has attained full enlightenment and accomplished in everything and also can teach the Dhamma to others. But in the, therefore in the wider sense of the term Buddha, uh, if we use fully enlightened Arahant, disciples of the Buddha, they can exist even today. 
Therefore, in that sense, there are Buddhas in the world today. <coughs> but not Sammasambuddha. Uh, we don't know whether there is any Pacheka Buddha. Pacheka Buddhas can can arise any time when the Buddha is not alive, uh, but we don't know. (coughs) 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 Next question. After last year's jhana retreat, I saw vision of uh, distress what do I do with this? It came true. Uh, actually, if uh, these are the kind of things we actually cannot explain in a very uh, clear terms, <coughs> some people have visions even whether they meditate or not, some people have vision. And this vision come true. Sometimes they come as in, in dreams. Sometimes uh, when they are awake, <coughs> uh, suddenly something flashes in their mind. And later on that happens. And I cannot explain that. (coughs) Uh, My (coughs) wild guest is, uh, that is as good as your guest, uh, is that if the person uh, had a similar experience in the person's previous life, that can flash here, now, in this life, before it happens. This is called premonition. Uh, some people have premonistic experience. Uh, whether it is pleasant, unpleasant, depression, and so forth. Uh, But I cannot explain it in very Buddhistic terms, other than uh, attributing to previous lives. When I find uh, myself in a highly concentrated state, yet it is... uh, cloudy and lacks insight, what do, I, what do you suggest I do? A highly concentrated state and yet cloudy and lack insight. <clears throat> Actually, your concentration is not a, a jhanic kind of concentration where there is no doubt because you overcome doubt as one of the hindrances. If you have not uh, overcome that doubt and you suddenly gain deep uh, concentration, as I mentioned, 
all the jhanic factors must come together to make it a jhana, where you have a clear uh, concentration and clear uh, insight. But if you don't have uh, all the five jhani factors coming together, then you have not gained right or deep, true jhani concentration. Therefore, what I suggest is that you go back and repeat your uh, training, mastering the factors until you get the doubt out of your mind, uh, cloudy state of your, out of your mind, then you will get back to real <coughs> concentration. Next question. If uh, one of the hindrances or slash fetters is ritual, why do we perform the ritual of taking refuge here? <coughs> Did I answer this question? Oh. I thought I did not. Mm. <coughs> Let me see then. Okay. Let me see. Have I, if I answer this question, please let me know. When, <coughs> when practicing concentration, I usually experience the same pattern. First, my mind is very busy, then quiet after 15 minutes. I then feel energy <coughs> rise from within, which uh, causes uh, my body to straighten. The energy keeps building up, building until my posture becomes uh, more upright. The tension is almost unbearable. If I sit with this long enough, the smoothness washes from the top of my head down my body. What is this? Did I answer this question? Okay. <coughs> Usually I experience the same pattern. The pattern is, first my mind is very busy. That is true. That's the normal thing. Uh, then quite after 15 minutes. <coughs> then I feel energy rise from within, within which causes my body to straighten. <coughs> the energy keeps building until my posture becomes more upright. Um, that's all right, that is not something unusual. Uh, because when you are uh, practice becomes steady, uh, you feel lot of energy, you don't lose energy, body warms up, 
mind becomes uh, steady and the body becomes steady and you build up energy, that's also all right. <coughs> Tension is almost unbearable and that is not right. When you have, when the body is upright, if the tension arises, uh, you got to take care of the tension by uh, opening your eyes, relaxing your body, uh, breathing very slowly, mindfully, several times taking deep, calm, relaxed breathing to relieve the tension. If I sit with this uh, long, a smoothness washes from top of my head down my body. Now, if the tension is almost unbearable, uh, if, you, if you sit with this long enough, that is another thing I have suggested when you have a pain, if you sit with it long, then it slowly uh, fades away. <clears throat> but if it is unbearable, then I suggest you to relax and take deep breath and so forth, very slowly, and then it will go away. So the last thing you do, as you suggested here, is stay with that tension. As I mentioned earlier, that's all right. Next question, I was able to do your numbers, numbers exercise on the first try. I had some uh, distracting thoughts, but never lost the count. That's good. <laughs> if you didn't lose the count. Is this good sign of uh, developing concentration or is this practice uh, relatively easy? <clears throat> Actually, if you uh, can keep uh, counting your breath without uh, uh, distracting thought, that's very good because the purpose of counting is to is not to get carried away with thoughts. Uh, but if both going on at the same time, then you're going to change the method of counting. <clears throat> this one type of counting, if while counting with this in this way, if still your mind uh, has a lot of thoughts and wandering here and there, uh, then you go to change the way of counting. There are various other ways of counting. This is the one I strongly recommend for many people, and many people have been benefited from this counting. Another way I like to suggest is uh, you count very quickly. That is called farmer's uh, cowherd's counting. How would open the pen in the morning and they start uh, rushing out uh, because whole night they were inside little enclosed area and they were waiting to get out. As soon as you open the gate, 
you start rushing, then you have to count very quickly to know the number. That's called uh, cowards counting. So if you do this kind of counting very quickly, then the counting becomes more prominent than wandering. You cannot think that uh, fast as you count. And therefore you beat your thought and stay on the counting. Uh, there's another way of counting called farmer's counting. Uh, farmer is uh, selling grain. He has uh, one bag of grain and the customer comes he with the bag so he put his measure into the into his bag of grain and pour into the customer's bag and count one in order not to forget his count he put one and putting one he puts into the customer's bag and say one and then while bringing it back to his bag he simply repeats it. Because he can forget. So he don't want to lose his business. <clears throat> so like that he count as many times he put the as many uh, uh, measures into the customer's bag. <clears throat> That's called cus- uh, the the farmer's uh, counting. Another counting is <coughs> you breathe very slowly and uh, count from one to ten in one inhaling. <coughs> and count a one to ten in one exhaling. So you better make sure that you are uh, mind is on the counting of the breath. So when you do this kind of different type of counting, your mind stops wandering. Okay. Uh, I think other questions are not uh, my answering, asking about my losing memory and so forth, that's not very important. Uh, You can read in my book. (laughs) <laughs> I think this is enough for tonight and uh, uh, if we have time I answer there are four more questions here I answer them tomorrow this is a special treat you know <laughs> I was designed to give answer questions only three days this week but I took one additional day out of compassion for all of you <laughs>